book of Luke, chapter 22, and then we'll go on over to the book of John, chapter 21. And um, I, I think that I'm going to teach more than preach maybe today, um, but uh, I want to share with you what the Lord has laid on my heart, and uh, I pray that you'll let it minister to you today. In the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 33 and 34, and then we'll drop down to verse 54 and read through verse 62, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Verse 54. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. And finally she said, This man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. Everybody say number one. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, You must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. Say number two. And about an hour later... Somebody else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Say number three. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. I've often wondered what verse 61 must have felt like for Peter. The Bible says at that moment, the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. This all took place, of course, before the crucifixion. We're going to fast forward to after the resurrection when Jesus was appearing to the disciples in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. I want to stop right there and preach to you this morning for a few moments a message I've simply titled, Moving On. Moving On, if you will. Pray with me and for me. Father, we thank you once again for everything you've done in this service today. Now, as we break the bread of life together, I pray, Father, that you would decrease me until I'm nothing and move me out of the way that your Holy Spirit may be increased in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would give us teachable hearts today. You would anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what your word says. I pray, Lord, that I would not speak my words or words of man's wisdom, but that today, Lord, your word would come forth in the demonstration power of your spirit. I pray you'd remove every hindrance that would hinder us from hearing and receiving what you're trying to speak to your people today. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise for what you're going to do in and through your word in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. This is an account that you're probably familiar with. It's an account that you have lived or maybe you're even living at this moment. Peter, at, at the beginning of this passage of Scripture, when I read, and Peter said, Lord, I'm willing to, 
to go to prison with you. I'm even willing to die for you. Peter is filled with all of this resolve. He's resolute in his decision. He has all this boldness and this passion. But what we find here is that Peter writes a check with his mouth that he can't cash with his actions. I said he writes a check with his mouth that he can't cash with his actions. He boasts that he's committed. He boasts that he is sold out. He boasts that he is all in. And he informs Jesus that he is his ride or die. I'm with you. I'm willing to go to prison with you. I'll even die with you. Maybe he even breaks out into a stanza of, though none go with me, still I will follow. The only problem with it is he doesn't. In fact, Peter fails miserably. And that's what I want to talk to us about today. His words of resolve fizzle into just full-blown regret. Uh, he's confronted by this girl around the fire in a moment when Jesus needed him the most. But at that moment in time, Peter just could not pass the test. He couldn't toe the line. He could not come through uh, with what he needed to do, and that was to not deny the Lord. And he denies Jesus just exactly like Jesus told him he would. And so the latter result is an impromptu fishing trip. See, this all happened before Jesus was crucified. But then we find that Peter is still dealing with the consequences of his own actions. Even after Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And now Jesus is appearing to the other disciples. And Peter is uh, just still uh, has a case of what we used to call in the old church the mully grubs. Anybody ever heard of that? He's just still wallowing around in his own self-pity. Feeling like he's worthless. And so he just decides, I'm going to take an impromptu fishing trip. And it sounds like it's innocent enough, but the fact is, is that it's actually sinister in reality because he's actually backtracking. Peter's actually saying, I'm just going to go back to my old lifestyle. Uh, it's it's casting aside every God-given dream that Peter had and every prophetic word that had ever been spoken over Peter's life. And this fishing trip is a declaration from Peter that everything that I've experienced in the last three years was for nothing. And I have nothing to show for it. I shared this morning in the 845 service. Angie and I have a friend uh, that uh, listens online a lot. I, I started to message him and tell him to listen to this message. I pray he's listening or, or, or watching it today. But I've heard him say many times because he used to preach the gospel. And he did backslide. And, and he did get involved into a lot of sin in his life. And he's walking this walk that he doesn't really have to walk. Because he's still wallowing around in his own shame and his own self-pity. And telling him that he's not worthy and he's not good enough and all of those things because of the mistakes and the failures that he made that's where exactly where Peter was Peter was saying uh, which is not the truth and we're going to get to that in a minute but Peter's saying everything I've seen for the last three years that was for nothing I've got nothing to show for it those miracles that I witnessed they don't matter anymore those lessons that I learned they were lost Peter has simply given up and with one phrase and he says I'm going 
going fishing. Jesus is back. He's resurrected from the dead. He's appearing to the disciples. So what? I'm going fishing. In other words, I'm going to throw in the towel and I'm going to quit. Is anybody, can we just be transparent up in this house this morning? And can I ask, I'm already getting some people confessing before I ask the question. Has anybody in the house ever said, sometimes I just feel like throwing in the towel, giving up and quitting and saying, stick a fork in me, I'm done. Can I get a witness? The rest of y'all are liars. Amen. Everybody's felt that way at one time or another. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm throwing in the towel. But he gives us a hint there that we got to learn to do something in this society today. And that is, we got to learn to practice cancel culture. Or the culture of the church as we know it will be canceled inadvertently. Are you with me? We have to learn to begin to practice cancel culture. And I'm so thankful this morning that this is not the end of Peter's story. I'm so thankful. Is anybody else in the house this morning thankful that God never gave up on you? Thankful that God forgave you. And this is not the end of Peter's story. The full story of Peter teaches us, first of all, that we must cancel our regret. Now, I want you to notice that the enemy uses Peter's regret to get him to go back into his comfort zone, to go back into his former way of life. Because here's what the enemy will do. The enemy will use regret to morph into guilt, and that guilt will act as a glue that will keep you bound in seasons that God has already loosed you from, that God has already moved you past and removed from your record. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that when God forgives, the Bible says, He also cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. And if God's forgotten it, we shouldn't be worrying about it anymore. He's already cast it, the Bible said, as far as the east is from the west. And if God's forgotten about it, we shouldn't remind ourselves and wallow with it ourselves. Thank God, what he did on the cross of Calvary was sufficient to cover it once and for all. But the problem is that if we don't cancel those regrets, we will constantly revisit what we can't revise. And I told him at 845, that was good if I did type it, so I'm going to say it again. We'll constantly revisit what it's not even possible for us to revise. See, you can relive, if you want to, every word that you said, every action that was taken. Can, can, I, just, can I stop right here and just say this morning, is there anybody in the house besides me that will say, there's one thing, at least one thing in this life that you struggle with and you feel like I just can't never get it right? Can we be honest and can I see hands? All of, yeah, I see hands all over the room this morning. I, we just, I just can't get it right. Listen, you can replay the tape again and again you can revisit those things you can rehearse them in your mind and you can go over and over what took place but if you're not careful that regret will begin to impact how you believe and how you speak and it, there's if you're not careful there's no longer the language of faith we no longer say God still can Instead, we begin to talk about what could have been or what would have been or what might have been. And we become trapped in grief over old opportunities as if God is not able to create a new opportunity. I'm so thankful that the psalmist said, maybe you don't need it. 
But I do, and I'm so thankful that the psalmist said his mercies are new every single morning. So what? You messed up last week? So what? Ask God to forgive you. And when your feet hit the floor in the morning, realize and recognize, thanks be unto God, His mercy is new today. Today's a new day in Christ Jesus. But let me see if I can get down for just a moment to where we live. Because if we're honest, like Peter, we all fail. Now... I, I want to say this this morning because I've heard even sometimes ministers say and proclaim a number of days that they have lived above sin. And brag about, I've lived above, maybe not necessarily intently bragging, but kind of boasting in the fact, which is bragging nonetheless, that they have lived above sin for a certain number of days. That makes my skin crawl for two reasons. Number one, I've never made it that many days. And number two, nothing that I read in this book about salvation is based on my worthiness. Thanks be unto God. He didn't save us because we were worthy. He doesn't keep us because we're worthy. He saves us because he can take the vilest sinner, the most unclean. We all mess up from time to time. Whether we want to be hypocritical about it, hello, and admit it or not, we all mess up from time to time. But thanks be unto God, his grace is what is sufficient to cover us every single time. So like Peter, we all fail. We all say words that we don't live or maybe we say things that we don't mean. Maybe like Peter, we make promises we don't keep. And at the beginning of the year, maybe we make resolutions that are broken before the ink even dries on the paper. We intend to turn over a new leaf or, or a new page only to buckle under the pressure and end up falling back into the same thing and acting like we always act. And because of that, regret is our constant companion. And so then... Because of the regret, some of you can't be the spouse that you're supposed to be because you can't get over the spouse you used to be. Mm -hmm. Some of you can't be the parent that God's called you to be because you can't get over being the parent that you used to be or maybe didn't even used to be. Sometimes you can't get over uh, and become the friend that God wants you to be because you can't get over being the friend that you knew you shouldn't be. You can't get over uh, being the man or the woman that God has called you to be because we can't overcome because we're constantly punishing ourselves with what we did. And when we do that, we end up back at our old fishing grounds, just like Peter did. Think I'll just go back. Then we get back into the old habits. The old responses, the old attitudes. And like Peter, regret leads to stagnation. But I came with the intent this morning to implore you to learn the real lesson of Peter's story so that it can also become your story. We must get this in the right order. But first, we must obtain forgiveness. And then we got to cancel regret and move on. It's important that we recognize that and that we do that. Now listen, the enemy used Peter's regret to stagnate. But Jesus used Peter's regret to educate. Are you with me? 
I want you to notice the difference even when you contrast the regret of even another disciple in the, in the Bible who we read about the story of how he betrays Jesus. Most of you know the story of Judas. And Judas's regret in the hands of the enemy led him to forfeit his future. If you read the story, you know that Judas hung himself. He forfeited his future because his regret was, was in his hands. But Peter's regret, Peter also denied the Lord. But in the hands of Jesus, Peter's regret became a reforming and a refocusing for his future, if you will. Can I tell you this morning, we must learn to place our regrets in Jesus' hands. Jesus will take our regrets in his hands and make something beautiful out of them. But in our hands, left in our hands, they will destroy us. I want you to notice something, and I love this part about the story that the angels of the tomb said when they informed the ladies to tell Peter of Jesus' response to Peter's regret. In the book of Mark, chapter 16 and verse 7, when the angels spoke to the ladies, the Mary and the other Mary that morning at the tomb, I want you to notice what they said. They said, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. In other words, Jesus still includes Peter as one of his chosen. Jesus still includes Peter amongst his followers. Jesus was strategically sending a message to Peter here that I want to get across to some of you today. And that message was this. I know you failed. I know you messed up. I know that you didn't do what you wanted to do just like the Apostle Paul said, so what I want to do, I find myself not doing. But what I don't want to do, that's exactly what I find myself doing. But Jesus was sending a message to Peter that says, I know you messed up. I know you failed. I know you're ashamed of yourself. But I want you to understand something this morning. I still love you. I still include you. And I will still use you for my glory. That's the message that he's communicating to Peter. Denial and all. Failure and all. And in that one moment, the fact that Jesus meets Peter on the seashore while he's fishing tells us that grace isn't just about sin. It's also about our conscience. And in Hebrews chapter 9, the Bible even tells us about our conscience. The writer reminds us of the Old Testament method of handling sin. How they used to cover sin in the Old Testament. And he reminds us that the priest would bring bulls and goats to sacrifice for forgiveness of the entire nation's sin. And in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 9, the word said this. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse, what? The consciences of the people who bring them. In other words, these sacrifices purified the people of their sin, but it didn't deal with their regret or their guilt. Are you with me? Their conscience wasn't canceled yet. Their sin had been covered and taken care of, but they still had the guilt and the shame. But the writer opens up and goes on and he makes this life-changing regret-canceling statement down in verse 13. He says, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just 
think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God, watch this, as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You know what? Maybe you do live up on some kind of hierarchy and you live above sin because here's what we do in the church today. I'm going to preach to us for just a moment. We like to categorize sin. We like to say that this sin belongs here, but this sin is a little bit worse. And then this sin is way up here. And then that sin, oh my goodness, it's way up here. I don't know. Maybe you live above sin. Maybe you think my sin is worse than your sin. Maybe you think somebody else's sin is worse than your sin. But here's what I'm thankful about this morning. That one sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on that cross when he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin, it covers everything from what you think is small to even what you think is the greatest. And it puts us all on the same level playing field when we've been washed in the sin cleansing blood of the Lamb of God. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross did what sacrificing bulls and goats could not do. Jesus' sacrifice deals with the sin, but thank God it also deals with the guilt and the shame. It deals with our conscience. And so now, Jesus doesn't just deal with Peter's sin. He also deals with Peter's regret. And in that moment that Peter's name is mentioned, and in the moment Jesus shows up on the seashore, Peter does more than just come to an understanding of grace. He receives grace. I'm afraid many times in the church... People come to an understanding of grace, but they don't fully receive grace for themselves. There is a difference. He received grace from Jesus, but you know what else he also received? He received grace from himself. Sometimes we could do a lot better in showing grace to others. Say amen, somebody. Uh-huh. Yeah. But then sometimes we could do a whole lot better in showing grace to ourselves. Because if Jesus' blood has forgiven us, we don't have to continue to wallow in it and beat ourselves up for it. Some of us have received grace for our sin, but it's now time to receive grace for our regret. And I don't know why the Lord had me preach this today, but I believe it's specifically for some people today. I believe that we need to cancel our regret in order to experience and receive real redemption. Real freedom from our past. Here's what redemption is defined as. It's regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. Listen, real redemption isn't just getting our sin cleansed. It's getting our regret removed. When we come to an understanding that our debt is removed, it's been canceled. So we must learn that if we will receive grace from Jesus, and if we'll give grace to ourselves and others, then we can experience what Peter experienced. And you need to recognize, if we can experience what Peter experienced, we need to recognize our greater days are yet to come. Maybe the best way to illustrate this to you is to remind you very briefly about Joseph. Uh, a lot of people know the story of Joseph, and many don't know the story of Joseph. But Joseph was the guy in the Old Testament whose brothers sold him into slavery because they were jealous of how much his dad loved him. Joseph was the favorite child. 
He was his father's pet. And his brothers sell him. And he spends years in prison because of it. And we find that we read that Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream and he informs him that a famine is coming. So Pharaoh pulls Joseph out of prison and puts Joseph in charge of all the food in the nation. Straight from the prison to being in charge of all the food because he interpreted the dream and said the famine's coming. And prior to any reunion with his brothers, and this was prior to any relationship with them being restored, prior to any apology that was offered or given, Genesis chapter 41 tells us that Joseph had two sons. You know what he named his oldest son? He named him Manasseh. Manasseh means it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Can I tell you this morning that you can cancel regret and allow the grace of God to be applied to the pain of your actions, of your choices, of your decisions. And even in the middle of that pain, God can help your pain give birth to such a great new season that you forget the pain. You forget the trouble. You forget the failure. Joseph declares, God's grace has helped me move on. Why are you preaching that this morning, Pastor? I believe some of us need to cancel regret so that we can move on. Last Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection. But we don't need to ever forget that before he rose, he died on that cross. And he shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. All of us could be forgiven. He freely gave. And we need to freely receive in order to fulfill our purpose in Him. So now I want to wrap this up. And let's read John chapter 21 beginning with verse 3. Let's read this story. Simon Peter answered and said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who He was. And He called out, Fellas... Have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped to work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish and the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was the third time... Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter. Here we go. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The Bible says that Peter was hurt. That Jesus even asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. 
Jesus was essentially saying, Peter, we can move on from this and you can feed my sheep. Peter, we can move on from this and I can use you for my glory. I feel the spirit of the Lord when I tell you this morning. The Lord is sending a message to somebody and I don't know what your this is. But the Lord sent me today to tell you we can move on from this and I can still use you for my glory. We can move on from this and you can still do the work of the kingdom. I came to tell somebody today, you can move on. I don't care what the devil has told you and what lies he has whispered into your ear. You can move on from the failure. You can move on from the slip up. You can move on from the words that you spoke. You can move on from the divorce that you went through. You can move on from the bankruptcy that you filed. You can move on from the funeral that you just had to go through. You can move on from the addiction that you've struggled with. You can move on from that lifestyle you've been living. You can cancel regret and you can allow God to help you move into a new season and God said if you'll give up this and you'll let go of it and follow me I will use you for my glory. Thank God Peter did not let his failure define him. Thank God that Peter moved on. Judas didn't move on. He took his own life. I want to tell you something this morning. If you will bring it, whatever it is. And let me tell you something. Almost every one of us in this house that was truthful raised our hand that there was something. It doesn't matter what my this is or your this is. But if you will bring it and leave it at this altar this morning... God will use you in a mighty way for His glory. But if you choose to carry it, it could very well be your own destruction. He didn't die on the cross for you to carry it. He carried it for you. I feel the Lord when I say that. He carried it for you. He already paid the price for you this morning. So as I was praying this week, then go ahead and come to the music. And I asked the Lord, I said, okay, we've experienced Easter. So, Lord, what do you, where do you want us to go from here? And the Lord immediately began to direct my attention to the day of Pentecost, which I'm going to preach on uh, for maybe a couple weeks in the, in the near future. The day of Pentecost will be, Pentecost Sunday will be on June the 5th. Because what actually happened was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus was the day of Pentecost. And what happened then, 50 days after Jesus was resurrected, we find the 120 who were gathered together in the upper room when the Holy Ghost fell. And that's a sermon on Pentecost I'll save for another time. But after they experienced that endowment of power, and we've been talking about it in my class on Wednesday nights, and I believe they've been talking about it in Sister Karen's class from what I heard from the message after the message this morning. And we didn't even know that with each other. But after this endowment of power that happened on the day of Pentecost, listen to me this morning. Who do you think it was? I don't even know if you put this together yet. But after the Holy Ghost fell, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the 120 are gathered together in the upper room when the Holy Ghost falls. And after that endowment with power, it was none other than Simon Peter who went out into the streets and began to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on the day of Pentecost, when Simon Peter preached, the Bible said over 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom. 
I came to tell somebody this morning, don't you cancel yourself out from what God can do in you and through you. Don't you ever discount yourself because of your past or because of your history. Because God wants you to know this morning, if you'll let Him cancel it, He'll use you for His glory. Hallelujah. I want to tell you this morning, sometimes we got to move on. We got to move past that failure. We got to move past that regret. God has not discarded you. So if God has not discarded you, don't discard yourself. He's waiting for you to move on so that He can accomplish His will for your life and use you for His glory. Did you notice? And here's where sometimes those people that think they're so holy, here's where they get all jealous because it wasn't one of the faithful ten. You know, Judas took his life. Peter denied Jesus. That just leaves ten. Amen. I might have went to Knox County Schools, but I can do simple math. Praise the Lord. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They ride me all the time because I went to Link Camp. But listen, I graduated salutatorian, so hey, not half bad. But anyway, that leaves ten, right? Jesus, the Lord did not choose even one of the ten faithful. In other words, Jesus didn't choose the ones you and I would pick out and say, God's going to use this one. God's going to use that one. No, you know who God goes after and uses the most? The ones that any of us least expect. The ones that have no confidence in themselves to start with. That's why Peter said, I'm throwing in the towel, boys. I'm going fishing. I'm done with this thing. He had no confidence in himself to start with. But it was his regret in the hands of God that was turned around and used to refocus and reform his future. Why are you preaching this, Pastor? Because it's probably not going to be me that starts a mighty revival in Corbin. It's probably not going to be one of our staff members or one of our council members that's going to start a mighty revival in Corbin. It's probably not going to be one of our discipleship teachers that starts a mighty revival in Corbin. It's going to be somebody like Simon Peter. Somebody who sinned beyond what we think is worthy of God to use them. It's going to be somebody that God wants to say it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you were raised. It doesn't matter what you come from. If you'll give it to me, I'll use you for my glory. If you will, stand with me all over the room today. It's that simple. We need to move on so God can use us for His glory. Don't let whatever is in your past hinder you from your future in Jesus. It's time to move on today. Maybe some of you today need to move from where you've been living into grace. You need to understand grace and then you need to freely receive God's grace. And I want to tell you today, if you're here and you're lost... It does not, you may have never accepted Jesus publicly as your Lord and Savior. It does not matter how bad you may think you have been or what all you have done. And it also doesn't matter if you think you've been pretty good. The grace and the mercy of Jesus is the same for all of us. Don't leave this place today. We're getting ready to open this altar. We do something around here called altar service. And that's because we allow time and provide time where people can seek the Lord in a place of prayer. Because if we're all honest, 
not a whole lot of us spend a whole lot of time in prayer from Sunday to Sunday. So the least we can do is on Sunday morning give God five minutes of altar time and talk to Him and let Him talk to us. Can I hear an amen? Maybe this morning you need to come on and, and move on from your regret and your failure. Maybe it's time to put those things in the hands of Jesus. You know what? It might be what you did might have been bad. It might be a lot of pain. It might be uh, life-altering. But it's time to put it in the hands of Jesus and move on. Maybe you have received forgiveness already, but today you need to receive freedom from the guilt and the shame. Maybe you need to take something that you've been carrying, your this, and bring it. And I don't have to know what it is. It ain't none of my business. It's none of nobody else's business. But whatever it is, bring it to this altar and lay it at the feet of Jesus. And maybe this morning, some of us just need to come and declare that, Lord, from this day forward, that thing that I feel like I can't never get it right, I want you to cover me in your grace and mercy. And from this day forward, I'm moving on with you for your glory. As they sing, this altar's open.